Look at I'm really happy today. I have a new Bible. My, the old Bible was pretty worn out after 15 years of very hard labor. So I retired it, and my sweetheart bought me a new Bible. And, uh, you know, the, I think the first time she bought me a Bible was in like 1976 or something. We weren't married yet. I think that was a hint. And um, she's been buying me my Bibles ever since. I don't think I've actually gone to the store and bought me a Bible. That is a thoughtful friend. And so you need a friend like that. You could, I could say you need a woman like that, but you can't have it because there's only one, and I got her. So let's move ahead here. I have my new Bible, so are you ready to hear the Word of God? Yes. Are you ready to be changed by it? Yes. Are you ready to do everything it says? Yes. Yeah, you do. I, got it. I got yeses all around. That's wonderful. So uh, we're going to read in Colossians. I'm going to start in chapter 2 and verse 6, and I'm going to just read about, uh, I don't know, a dozen verses or so. And um, there's a lot more to read. I encourage you to read more of this scripture, um, but I just want to get moving along here. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Thank you for your word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is not in lockdown today. Your word is not bound. Lord, there is no obstacle. There is nothing that can stand in the way of what you want to say coming from your hand to us. There's nothing that can prevent your word from bringing us joy and peace and life. There's nothing that can prevent your Holy Spirit from bringing the revelation of Jesus to our spirits, O oh Lord God. And so, Father, our ears are open and our hearts are ready to hear what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This is the third part of our discipleship journey with the Colossians. To get the most out of these messages, I encourage you to read along in Colossians. It's not a very long book. You can handle it. And discuss it in your discipleship group and discuss it with other people. You can interact with this teaching through our Facebook page on the discipleship group. 
Paul wrote this letter to a community of believers in the city of Colossae. And it still has a message for us today. Last time, we saw how Paul encouraged the Colossians to make Jesus the foundation for their faith, to keep their focus on Jesus, and keep on following Jesus. In this message, I want to look at what Colossians can tell us about becoming like Jesus. The beginning of a new year is a time for many of us to think about making changes and what kind of person we want to be going forward. And you can see that the advertising industry has really picked up on this. So if you're looking at magazine covers or at signs in the store, they're telling you it's time for a new you. There's a new you for 2022. And the ad will tell you that if you buy a new wardrobe or if you start working out at the gym or you go on the latest diet, it's the first step to a new you. Well, then you go on the diet and guess what? You find out it's not really a new you, it's the old you, only hungrier. <laughs> well, we're all looking to become better people, right? And when it comes to God, we all wish we were better at doing things God's way and becoming the person that God wants us to be. People have all sorts of ideas of what it means to become a better Christian. The Apostle Paul is going to tell us why those ideas don't work. And he's going to tell us what God's real plan is for us to become like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus is the goal of discipleship. When Paul wrote to the disciples in Rome, he wrote, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Or put another way, God decided to let us become like his own son. God's plan for us is becoming like Jesus. Right here at the beginning, we read that if we're going to become like Jesus, we need to continue walking in the same manner in which we started. He says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. In the same way you received Christ, that's the way to continue. And so how did you receive Christ? Was it by your own goodness? Was it because of your strength? You know it wasn't. We started in Christ when we realized that we couldn't depend on our own ability or our own righteous behavior. And that we had to put our faith in Christ's righteousness alone. We started this journey with our confidence in faith in Jesus. And that's the only way we're going to finish. One of the reasons the idea of discipleship seems so difficult is that we think it requires something different than what we've already done. Which is to put faith in Jesus and trust him to work in us. We already know how to do that. And so Paul wrote to the Galatians, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? We become like Jesus by continuing to walk the same way we started, through faith in him. The faith you had in Jesus for your salvation is the exact same kind of faith that will let you live the rest of your life for him. 
Verse 7 tells us that this means that we should stay rooted in Jesus, get built up in Jesus, grow stronger in our faith in Jesus, and stay happy and thankful for what Jesus is doing in us. Believing in Jesus, in you, is the only true path to spiritual growth. I was telling Pastor Ralph, there's no special sauce. I've been following Jesus for about 50 years. Here's something I learned. There's no special sauce. The only path to spiritual growth is believing in Jesus in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. But there's other ideas out there, and there's other paths, and people will tell you about them. But right away, Paul warns that following those will lead to deception and captivity. So he gives the Colossians this urgent warning about empty philosophies and human traditions and worldly forces that will try to sneak in, entice them away, and steal their freedom. It looks like the Colossians were getting hit from all sides. There were people telling them to trust in angels. There were people telling them to listen to the latest vision they had had. And other people were telling them they had to offer certain sacrifices. And other people were telling them, oh no, the secret is you have to not eat that kind of food. And there were other people who say, well, there's certain rituals you have to perform on certain days of the week. We kind of face the same thing today. But what all these things have in common is that they're saying Jesus is not enough. And that you need to do something more that adds to what Jesus has done for you. You need to buy their book. You need their ministry. You need them to anoint you, or just, just not with it. Now, many years ago, I knew a young person who had just come to Jesus. He was a new believer, and it doesn't matter what his name is, but I'm going to call him Tim. Tim had received Jesus. He'd been baptized in the church, and he loved Jesus. I mean, he was in church every time he could get himself there. He just wanted to be with Jesus. He was so happy in Jesus. And it was wonderful to see what God was doing in his life. Then some people came along who told Tim that that wasn't just, just wasn't enough. They told him that he really didn't know Jesus because the right people hadn't prayed for him. And they told him he wasn't really baptized because the preacher didn't use all the right words in the correct order. And they told him that they had a solution. All he had to do was come along with them. And they would baptize him the right way. And then he could follow all their rules to become a super special believer, just like them. And Tim did that. We tried to stop him. But he, won he thought this was the way. Because he, he wanted to be like Jesus. And he followed them. He went through their rituals, and pretty soon, he was a captive. He spent all his time trying to follow all these rules and totally lost his joy in the process. He stopped coming to church, and finally, he was simply lost. He disappeared, and we never were quite sure what happened to him. You can't add anything to Jesus and actually, if you try adding something to Jesus, you end up subtracting from Jesus because that is say, saying that Jesus didn't do enough. 
How can you say that Jesus didn't do enough? Paul starts listing all the amazing things that we already have because of what Jesus did on the cross. He made you complete. He gave you a true circumcision. Which, by the way, what does that mean? A true circumcision makes you an heir to all the covenants of God and all the blessings of God. But Christ did that for you already. He made you alive when you were dead. That's a lot. He forgave all your sins, all of them, even the ones nobody knows about. He erased every debt you owed to God, every debt. He defeated every spiritual authority, force, curse, or power that might come against you or separate from God. He disarmed them in the most humiliating fashion. And he removed any power that they could have over your life when he died on the cross. That was his triumph. And all of this happened while you were dead. You didn't initiate this or contribute to any part of it because you were dead in sins and you were far away from God. So why do you think that now it's up to you to make it happen? Paul says, don't let people who think like this judge you. Don't let them tell you you don't measure up. Paul doesn't go easy on these people. He says they're just puffed up with idle fantasies and full of pride when they say, oh, I'm so much closer to God because I don't eat that kind of food anymore. Paul says that's unspiritual. Wow, who would have thought? If we listened to Paul, there'd be a lot less books in the Christian bookstore. Paul says, don't let people who think like this judge you. And he says these people, with their idle fantasies, their unspiritual minds and their pride, because they hang on to human rules, like, don't handle this, don't taste that, don't touch that. They've become disconnected from Jesus, who is the source of everything that's good. And Paul tells the Colossians, that these rules and regulations are a total waste of time. Now, there's people in the Colossian church, and there's people today who say, yeah, Paul, so we understand what you're saying, but surely these things have some value in themselves. And Paul says, no, they don't. Surely there's some wisdom in doing these things. He says, no, I'm not going to concede that point. He says, these things are useless. They're a waste of time. And not only that, they're a dangerous distraction that will disconnect you from Jesus, who's the head. Now, I didn't say that. Paul did. Oh, but he wrote the Bible, so you're going to listen to. So he writes, Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Why would we think that things that are physical and temporary can be of any use or have any impact on the matters that are spiritual and eternal. How can a pork chop affect your immortal soul? It's just meat, and soon it will be gone. But you're eternal. That's why he says to the Galatians, are you so foolish? Are you so foolish? Don't be dumb. 
He says these things, halak, any value in restraining sensual indulgence, all these ideas that humans come up with are just external solutions to an internal problem. And they're useless when it comes to dealing with the real issue, which is the inside, which is the flesh. You guys know what the flesh is, right? It's not your skin and your bones or your hair if you still have some. Your flesh is in your heart. It's the inner person in you who has twisted and bent in a direction away from God. And that wants to do its own thing. Do you ever get one of those shopping carts with the bad wheel? And you're trying to drive straight and it keeps wanting to go into the canned tomatoes? Right? Well, that's what our human nature is like. God's there and we want to go to him and it just keeps on pulling us. The flesh is in your heart. It's your inner person who has it naturally bent away from God and wants to do its own thing. Our human sinful nature is like a rebel person living inside of us. It's what resists God and asserts its independence from God. This is the fundamental fault in human beings. God's plan to deal with that rebel person isn't to reform that person or to give him a makeover or to get him to practice nice table manners or to dress him up in religious clothing. God's plan for that person is for that person to die. God's plan for us to become like Jesus is for us to die to our life so that we can live in his new life. Colossians says, set your mind on things above, not earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You died. I died. As Paul wrote to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. If I believe that in Christ I've died and that the old rebel flesh has been exterminated, how should I behave now? like a dead person. I know a bit about dead people. When I was a child, we lived on a cemetery. I was surrounded. It was a quiet neighborhood. <laughs> Although they said people were dying to get in there. Right? Thank you so much for that. I'm here all week. Uh, every day I would go out and play around all these great big stone grave markers. Ooh, that's granite. And they had people's names on them, and I would know the names, you know. Like, oh, hello, Tom. Hello, hello, Thomas. You know. And I learned something from my observations. What I learned about dead people is dead people don't get up to much trouble. There were thousands of graves in that cemetery, and not one of those people struggled with sin. No one was tempted by immorality or envy or greed, and none of them ever gave in to malice, anger, slander, or filthy language, as Paul talks about. And that's what Paul means when he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. If you died with Christ, then don't let those old things live in you. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But that's not who you are anymore. Just as you put off, so the important thing, I'm sorry, the important thing 
about dying is that it's the first step to a new life. We become like Jesus by dying to our old life so that we can live in his new life. We, Colossians says, you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. It's becoming, we're becoming like Jesus. Just as you put off the old life and its ways, you put on the new life and start acting like the new person that Jesus has made you to be. And we become like Jesus by walking in a new identity. We find a new identity. Our identity is that which tends to define us. It often defines how people think about us and even how we think about ourselves. The ancient people were defined, Jew or whether you were, by identities such as whether you were a Greek or a barbarian or a Gentile or a Jew or whether you were a free person or a slave. And that identity determined your place in society. It determined how you lived, what you did, and who you could be friends with. Today, we're often divided by other kinds of identities and categories, like political categories, like left-wing, right-wing, progressive, liberal, conservative. And which one are you? And we're pushed to declare which side we're on. Sometimes we live with an identity that other people gave us because of something they told us about ourselves. And sometimes we live with an identity that we believe in ourselves. My identity is that I'm a failure. My identity is that I'm worthless. I'm a victim. I was born this way. I'll always be this way. I'll never make it. That might be the cruelest kind of identity of all. Because we've taken it in to ourselves. But the truth is, Christ has made a new you. And that means we can embrace and find a new identity in him. Because what Jesus says about you is more true than what anyone else says about you. What Jesus says about you is more true than what you say about you. I used to go around after I was a Christian saying, well, you know, I like being a Christian, but because of my background growing up, I'm just, I'm just not very good at loving people. And one day Jesus said, well, that's who you used to be. Why don't you put to death the things from that old life? Find a new, a new you in me. Christ has made a new you, and that means embracing a new identity. He says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all and in all. In Christ, we're not divided. We have one identity, and we're not defined by anything other than what Jesus makes us. No matter how you've been labeled or how you label yourself, now Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. This is incredibly powerful and liberating news. Becoming like Jesus, we accept his identity. If they ask you, who are you? What are you? Who am I? I'm a disciple. I'm a person who follows Jesus, and I'm becoming like Jesus. That's who I am. We become like Jesus by demonstrating the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This whole discipleship thing would be really a pain if we didn't have the Holy Spirit, right? We really need him. And Paul writes to the Colossians, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, 
Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now look at those words. Compassion, kindness, humility, patience, forgiving, loving, Does that remind you of anyone? Who does it sound like? Sounds like Jesus. That's how Jesus lived. That's how Jesus walked. It's how Jesus related to other people, and it's how Jesus relates to us today. So as followers of Jesus, put on these characteristics of Jesus. Wrap yourself up in Jesus and walk how Jesus walked. There's something else that's familiar about those words. They're almost the same words we find listed in Galatians chapter 5, where it talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul called these the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what the Spirit is producing in us to make us become like Jesus. This is more than just developing a character. All right? Fruit of the Spirit is something the Holy Spirit gives us and works in us so that we can become like Jesus because that's what Jesus is like. And just as a fruit reflects the life of the plant that it comes from, this fruit reflects the life of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Becoming like Jesus isn't about following rules that can only change the external. It's about being transformed by the Holy Spirit from the inside out. Christian behavior is a demonstration of what's real on the inside. I don't go to church and pray and give and love people because I need to do that so God will like me and accept me. I do it because I know that God already accepts me. I do it because I know he's already in me. It's an outward expression of something real that God has done in me. And that's what becoming like Jesus is. We're all going to be demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. And the world needs to see a demonstration of Jesus in the world today. It needs to see the results of a radical discipleship that leads to a radical witness when God's people go out there and start not only being with Jesus or becoming like Jesus, but behaving like Jesus and showing the world that who Jesus is and the way he acts is the answer. Now, that discussion on behaving with Jesus is something we don't have time for today. So you're going to have to come next week and hear about it. It's going to be an exciting message. There's going to be something in there for you. But look at Becoming like Jesus is not impossible because it's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Becoming like Jesus is not impossible because we have help from the Spirit who's transforming us from the inside out to live his life with his identity and becoming more and more like Jesus every day. Amen and amen. So we're going to pause there. But before I do, I just want to say that
you may be just thinking, man, becoming like Jesus seems so impossible. Or I want to do things, but I've got this identity that's been put on me that I've been carrying around all my life. And it's holding me back. And I just can't get through it. I want to let you know that the Holy Spirit is building a new you inside you. And it's not impossible to follow Jesus. It's a wonderful journey. People who haven't been on it can't understand how much fun it is. But I wouldn't trade a day of it for anything because it's so much fun. It's such a blessing to follow Jesus. And I want to encourage you. If you've been thinking about that this is who I am, this is my identity, I'm stuck with this, and I'm just, this is just going to keep me from enjoying, what other, enjoying the life of God like other people enjoy it, I want to tell you, God is ready to change you now. So why don't we just lift our hearts up to the Lord and ask him to keep doing that good work in us, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you that we don't have to be who people say we are. Thank you that we don't have to be captives and held prisoner by something that happened a long time ago. But you're giving us new life. If any person's in Christ, that person's a new creation. The old things have passed away and the new things have come. Lord, we lift our hearts to you and say, Holy Spirit, please come and keep doing that work. Please keep bringing the fruit of Jesus out of in demonstration. Lord, show us a way to walk that will give us your joy and your peace and your life, Lord God. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.